Well, welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here at the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, but the star, as always, is Greg Doyle. I was going to say Gregory, but you know how sometimes people don't have the full names? Is your birth name Gregory? Oh, now, now you're hitting me in a button here. I <laughs> like, and I have never understood, why do parents name a kid something just to call him something else? If you want to call your kid John, don't name him Jonathan. It just strikes me as it's unnecessary. But I, I realize it's what everybody's always done. And so, I, well, I've never thought it. The truth is no one ever thinks about it. But if you want to call your kid Reggie, don't name him Reginald. Anyway, my parents named me Gregory. I've never understood why. I'm Greg. And uh, I, I named my younger son Jackson. And guess who's not called Jack? He's not. He's what I named him, goddammit. He's Jackson. <laughs> I know a lot of people that do that. Actually, that was the plan for us with my son James. Was we loved the name Jack. We just didn't want to name him Jack Schultz because why we not? It because like it Jack looks, Bleep. Because it's uh, it's pretentious. Like oh, it doesn't look good. No, I, I, it looks better on the birth certificate. Don't be pretentious. Name him Jack. But now we've called him James his whole life, so we're never going to call him Jack. He's James. There's there nothing that go. we can do about it. But I have friends also that did uh, Jackson, and they they call him uh, Jack. So I know other people that have that have gone the other way or Charlotte for girls. And they call it's her like Charlie. I'm going to go to a restaurant and I'm going to order a cheeseburger. But you better send me a hamburger because I don't want the whole thing. I'm going to say cheeseburger. But what I really want is a hamburger. So don't bring it. With, I want a cheeseburger, but no cheese. Oh, is that called a hamburger? Maybe I should have just said hamburger out loud the first time. I don't get this. I've never Man, gotten I this. It fires me up. I was going to ask you if you were still as fired up as you were last week, but I guess I don't even need to ask that question because we're like two minutes into this and I can already tell. Our country's in trouble. It's in trouble. And I I mean, what more can you say? But we've got one person trying to wreck 250 years of democracy, trying to, we've got a person trying to be a dictator. If anybody thinks that person right now won't leave in four years either, are you kidding yourself? Um, and 70 million folks voted for him and said it's okay. And it's not okay. It's just not okay. I, I don't know what else to say, but it's, it's not okay. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm, it's not okay. You know what else isn't okay? This it's is the not okay. transition ever. The, what, is, what else isn't okay, and this is admittedly a bad transition, um, this Colts offense scored 10 points on it's Sunday not okay. against Baltimore. It's not okay. And I, I just think, Greg, that, you know, sometimes – like, look at Tennessee. Tennessee's a great example. Tennessee at this point last season was left for dead, right? And you thought, oh, okay, well, they're not going to do anything. Tannehill, what? He wasn't that good in Miami, and then he gets promoted to quarterback, and they kind of catch fire. You know, teams teams change all the time. Teams aren't always the same the first week in November that they are the first week in January. But I just look at this Colts team, and you tell me if you agree with this. I, I just think that there's a clearly defined ceiling for them offensively. Like, even if things get right for them offensively, I still don't think that this is a good offense. And I think ultimately that's what's going to hold them back in a league where everybody is scoring points so easily. Like, the name of the game, I don't care how good your defense is, and the Colts have a very good defense. If you're going to score 10 points, you have no chance. None. You're not going to beat anybody scoring 10 points. And you're certainly not going to beat Baltimore scoring 10 points. Truth of the matter is, is that you don't even know where to point the finger the hardest. Because, I mean, Rivers has not been good enough, and his arm doesn't look strong enough, and he, he has a penchant for throwing too many, uh, what the hell, I hope we, I hope we catch it and not them. He, has, he does that too often. That's yeah. not good. Um, Jonathan Taylor is, has not been good enough. He, 
He doesn't run with Marlon Max vision. Very few people do, but Jonathan Taylor wants to go downhill right off. This ain't Wisconsin anymore, Jonathan. You don't have the biggest offensive line in, the, in, the, in, in your in your league blasting open holes, just begging you to burst through it so you can go 90 yards. This ain't Wisconsin. You got you to stop a little bit and wait for a hole. So I don't like Jonathan Taylor's game. I don't like Philip Rivers' game, but I don't know where this offensive line is gone. I mean, they there aren't any holes. They're not opening holes, not very often. Um, and I just don't – I don't know what happened to them. I, I don't see a single guy getting Pro Bowl. I mean, they might get Pro Bowl, but it'll be purely on rep because I'm not – so I'm not sure – like who – it's hard to say, well, the problem is – the problem's everybody. I don't like any of them right now. Of course, I'm not liking anybody. Nothing's okay with me right now. And the Phil, offensive line – but at yeah. least Philip Rivers' parents called him Philip. They didn't name him Philip and call him <laughs> Phil. They named him Philip. They called him Philip. Quentin didn't get named Quentin. They don't call him Quinn. They're calling him Quinn. Anthony Costanzo, they don't call him Tony. They're calling him Anthony. <laughs> Who else? Mark Lewinsky, you better be Mark and not Marcus. Uh, Braden Smith, I don't know what the hell you do with that name. And then Ryan Kelly. I like the offensive line's name. And Jonathan okay. Taylor's Jonathan. I got no problem with any of this. T.Y., your name better be T.Y. that birth certificate, or I don't know why they call you T.Y. It is absolutely not Ty on that birth certificate. And I don't I like can it. Confirm. Uh, let's let's start. Uh, let's start with the offensive line that you just mentioned. Offensive line is really kind of hard to grade, right? You have like Pro Football Focus, and you have people that do film reviews, and they and they try to figure it out. Um, and then you use your own eyes. What I'm grasping from the offensive line this year, Greg, isn't that they've been bad. Like I, I think the pass protection's been pretty good. Run blocking has been okay. The problem is, is that the standard for the offensive line is great, not pretty good. Not okay. They're supposed to be elite, and they haven't been elite so far this year. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I'll give him a little bit of a break because he's a rookie, but the, the vision is is not where it needs to be, and we were ready to crown him after one week, so that's kind of our fault. Um, Rivers is exactly who I thought he was going to be. If you would ha- even hand me a stat sheet and you say, okay, here's Phillip Rivers halfway through the 2020 season, I, I would have told you, okay, that, that lines up with where my expectations are. You know, the quarterback takes the most blame and the most criticism, so I get it. So everybody's like – Week to week. Rivers is great. Rivers is trash. Rivers is great. Uh, Rivers isn't good enough to beat elite defenses. I think we know that at this point. Uh, he's helped their vertical passing attack. He doesn't have many weapons. Jacoby Brissett didn't have many weapons last year. But the thing that's really letting the Colts down is their rush offense. Um, and, and I've said this before on the show, Greg. The reason that I talked myself into dumping $25 million into Phillip Rivers' lap is because I was expecting a very good to great rush offense to be behind him. And Rivers to just be kind of the complementary piece. And instead, in these games, you're seeing it. They can't run. I mean, we're, we're throwing a celebration in the streets here in Indianapolis because they ran for, what, what like five yards a carry? Like, it's, uh, hooray, the Colts running game, five yards a carry. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, like, that's the reason to throw the parade? How sad is this run game? Well, and, and that run game, and, you know, you can play with numbers and do whatever you want, but they had three carries for 42 yards. Two of them were jet sweeps by DeMichael Harris, and one of them was literally their last carry of the game. When the other team doesn't care and there's don't you know don't score 14 points in 30 seconds on us and Naheem Hines gained 14 yards in the last carry. You take away those three carries for 42 yards, they ran for 70 or something like that. So I don't want to hear about the run game being any good. It wasn't any good. If it was any good on fourth and inches with the game on the line and the Colts needing to score right then and then get the ball back on fourth and inches, they don't put the ball in Philip Rivers' hands and say, hey, go go find somebody. We have no receivers healthy, but go find somebody. If their running game was half as good as the number might suggest. They run the ball in fourth and inches, but they didn't. So there you go. Yeah, and I just don't see – I don't see what drastically changes for this team. Like, does T.Y. Hilton come back healthy and is suddenly the T.Y. Hilton of 2015 again? Like, do you think that's going to happen? Do you, do you think that suddenly 
Jonathan Taylor is going to get vision and become like a, a rookie of the year candidate. Like I, I don't see what really changes over these last eight games, especially considering Greg, that the level of competition is so much better than what they saw in the first half of the season when this was just a, a barely above average offense to begin with. Yeah. And, and look, T Y Hilton has, has not been himself all year. And, and maybe what he is, is his, this is his new himself. You know, maybe he's just not, you know, it takes, it's a small separation between being an elite athlete who can get away with a lot of stuff in the NFL field and being like everybody else. That's a really, there's a reason why great, great players are so rare and a great player, but he's not had that half degree that, that he had this year. And he's coming back now from a groin injury. He's going to come back better. No, he's not. He's not going to come back at all. I mean, he'll be back, but he'll be what he's, you know, he's going to end up the year with 30 catches for 320 yards. And that's, that's what he's going to do. Um, yeah, and, and Ashton Doolin's on IR. He's not coming back anytime soon, and I can't believe I'm talking about Ashton Doolin like he's he's the answer. I, two years ago, who the hell is Ashton Doolin? Yeah, Last year, right. I knew who he was, and who he was wasn't any good. So all of a sudden, like, DeMichael Harris looks, looks really good, but he actually looks like a real good athlete as opposed to all these really big guys they have. They're decent athletes. DeMichael Harris has some, Harris has some pop to him. I'd like to see him get the, the ball in his hands more. Yeah, and it's really kind of it, – it's – it's a cool story, but then again, it's kind of frustrating at the same time. And, you know, every single year, Greg, we have this guy that is the guy at wide receiver for the Colts that comes out of nowhere, right? Um, remember, uh, last year it was Zach Paschal. A couple of years ago, and I'm, how am I spacing on his name now? Um, the, the guy that they brought in. Oh, oh yeah, man. Mark Inman, Dontrell Inman. Yes, Dontrell Inman. Dontrell Inman, it was a couple of years ago. And then I think to to some extent, uh, Marcus Johnson has kind of been that guy the last couple of years, even though he's been with the team. And now to Michael Harris. And, you know, part of me is like, oh, this is kind of cool that the Colts can can do this. And then part of me is also like, wait, why can't they just, like, get a free agent or a high-level draft pick that can come in here and contribute? Like, what, why is it always guy off the street that has to do this? It's just – it's so sad that this wide receiver depth chart is always held together with like Elmer's glue and chewing gum. It's true, but they do keep going through these injuries. I mean, you look, I mean, Paris Campbell, two games and he's out. T.Y. Hilton's out. I mean, they've lost a lot of people. And granted, everybody loses people every year. Where's Debson Patton? I'd like to see him. How about Dries Fountain? He looks good. I, I like the way he looks on the field. I don't know why he's not getting the ball more. Uh, you know, I, they've got a bunch of guys. I'd like to see. I'd like to see Naheem Hines, who we all know has receiver hands. Line him up a receiver. Let him run some routes. Every time he goes wide, he then comes in for a receiver screen, um, which is basically a run, or he comes in for an end around or a jet sweep. How about lining up wide and have him run down the field and get open? How about that? Because he's like Marshall Falk used to do that, and I realize he's not Marshall Falk, but he's the closest team this offense has to Marshall Falk. How about use him that way? Yeah, I, I just. <laughs> The, the weapons, there just are none, and you don't need to be an expert to see it. The Colts just don't have any elite offensive weapons. T.Y. Hilton used to be one. He's not one anymore. But, I mean, if we're sitting here, and, and no offense to Mo Ali cox but if Mo Ali cox is your best playmaker, your game-breaker on offense, you're screwed. You're a bad offense. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's no offense to him because Mo Ali cox has a lot of ability, but – Greg, I mean, look at even a middling team like the Browns. Look at the game breakers that they have on the offensive side of the ball. And the Colts, the Colts don't even have one, much less three or four of them. I know, and I'm, I'm having it both ways. It's just, it, it's hard for me to jump in too hard on what you just said. No game, no playmakers when Hilton, Campbell, and Marlon Mack are all out. I mean, those, I hear you. those are on paper your three most explosive guys in, in preseason. 
the, those are the three. Those are the top three. And they're all out. And Michael Pittman Jr. looks pretty good, and he's been out for a while. So it's it adds up. It does add up. Now, listen, they just played a team that was missing their best offensive tackle, that was missing their best uh, – I, I wrote my story. They're, they're missing two or three of their best players, and it didn't stop them at all. So you, you can't use it as an excuse, but just the Colts on paper had some explosive guys this year, and they're all hurt. How much do you blame, if at all, I guess, I, you know, I don't want to assume that you're blaming him, but I think there is there is some discontent with Frank Reich um, and how he has handled all of this. Because, you know, here's a guy that was praised by all of us, fans and media alike, for being very innovative and aggressive. And you see little flashes of that this year. Um, but overall, it, it feels like he's gotten a little bit more conservative and a little bit more scared and the insistence on running on second and long and you know, why did Naheem Hines only have three touches? There have been some things that, that have struck me as a little bit strange about Frank Wright in the 2020 season. How about you? Um, he is coaching the season a little bit differently, yes, than, than in the past. A little bit more cautious, I'll give you that. Uh, I suspect what he's doing is this year he's got a defense that's that that's really, really good. And so I suspect what he's doing is let me not call some of these exciting plays that can backfire. Let me be safer and trust that the defense is only going to give up about 15 points. And if we can just score 17, we're going to win. So what I see is Frank Wright trying to score 17 points. And that's what he's trying to do. And people don't like it, and I get that. But there's a sound reason behind it because your defense might not give up at 14. So I am I'm, I'm I, I like Reich. I like him. I believe in him. Um, I don't really love how the season's gone at all. Um, but I do like him, and I can't – I can't – like I – you know, I'll send a tweet out about how the Colts offense in the third quarter, they had three yards, you know, and, and the whoever they played at 134. And I'll immediately get three tweets back saying, fire Reich. And I, I mean, I can't, you know, if that's the other side, then I am so far from that that I don't even, I don't even want to criticize him. Because if that's what people are going to hear and then turn into something bigger than that, then never mind. You know what? He's great. He's much more closer to great than fire Frank Reich. I'll tell you that. I do think that losing Campbell and the injuries that you mentioned really kind of threw a wrench in whatever plans that he had for the season. And look, the quarterback play, Frank, Frank Wright came here and took this job, assuming that he was going to have Andrew Luck for eight to 10 years. Right. And he ended up with Andrew Luck for a year. So I feel for Frank Wright <laughs> in, in some aspects when it comes to that. Um, I just think that you have to really the, the Colts aren't talentless. They have some talent. They don't have any elite talent on offense. But what they have is is guys that fit specific roles. Like Naheem Hines is good at some things. He's really bad at some other things. Uh, Jordan Wilkins the same thing. Um, Demichael Harris the same thing. And it's just about finding where can those guys excel. And and I'm not sure that Reich has always done that. Um, in, in utilizing, I guess, the cards that he's been dealt. I think he's been dealt some crappy cards, Greg, but I don't know if he's played his hands correctly all the time. Yeah, I think sometimes he outsmarts himself. I think what I see him doing is he, he'll he'll have Naheem Hines in there, and because Naheem Hines is 5'9", 150, and you don't run him up the middle, and everybody knows that, he runs him up the middle. Not because Reich's stupid, but because he doesn't want the other team to think that just because you see our personnel, we're going to call a certain play. So he'll put out three running three tight ends. And it looks like power, and then he'll throw it deep, or he'll put out, you know, like I say, Naeem Hines a tailback and run him up the middle. He does that, but he, I think he does it too much. I think he's trying to be too smart and not give in to his personnel too much, and it never works. 
defensively, let's talk about that. It was one of the better halves, defensive halves that I've ever seen a Colts defense play. And really, I think it's where they lost the game, not the defense, but the Colts overall. They lost the game in the first half. They could have built a 14, 10, 14, 17 point lead, something like that, and really put Baltimore on their heels. And, and they just, they really shot themselves with, uh, in the foot with what happened with the Taylor fumble and all that. But what was your reaction overall to how the defense played? Well, it's just remarkable that uh, one team, the Ravens, made those adjustments at halftime, and whatever they did, no one's really ever explained it. No one has said, well, here's what they did, and the Colts didn't counter it. If, if someone has come out and said exactly what Baltimore did differently, I have not heard it yet. And whatever it was was so subtle, I didn't see it. But I, So I don't know how that happens. I don't know how they played very smart uh, responsibility football. You know, where, where one, I saw one player, Justin Houston, was within three steps of Lamar Jackson and never never took a step towards him because his job was to take the pitch man. He took the pitch man, and I think Grover Stewart got the tackle, but it was Justin Houston who made that play. And I don't know why that wasn't happening in the second half. I, I don't, you know, I don't get it. I'm not sure if the Colts get it either because they never explained what happened. This looks like, and I, I don't know because I'm so laser focused on the Colts, and you probably are the same as well, Greg. I watch, I watch some other NFL, not as much as I did when I was 25 years old, but. I can't imagine that there is a, a vastly superior defensive line out there compared to what the Colts D line has been through eight games this season. Yeah, I'm going to say the Rams because they have Aaron Donald and three people. Mm-hmm. The Rams with Aaron Donald and you, me, and somebody else might be the best defensive line in football. And then I say that, and maybe their stats suck. I don't know. But yeah, this Colts defensive line, I mean, Grover Stewart has become a real pro. I mean, he's a really good pro. And, and Buckner's been uh, terrific. But, but but close, but like Muhammad is great, has great speed, and Justin Houston hasn't lost a step yet, and and we haven't even seen Teray yet. So yeah, this if it's lines fine. Do not think Autry's always make a play. So the lines fine. Who would have ever thought the Colts would have a great defensive line? Yeah. And they're getting pretty good DB play. They really are. We like the three linebackers, and their kickers made all but two field goals, and their punter is still kicking the ball great, and yet they're not good enough. Like that's just so damn weird that this team coached by that coaching staff isn't good enough, but it's, it's not just happening so on weighted, It's so weighted to the offense. The, the league is, you know, it's not 1990. Uh, in 1990, you could probably win with the, the strengths that the Colts have, but here in 2020, you just can't because on their worst day, the Chiefs are going to score 21, 24 points, and if your offense puts up 10 or 14, you're just not going to win. But what um, that says he, also is it's not just the Chiefs. It's People are scoring points all over the league, all yeah. over the league. And which which tells you that offensive sophistication is ahead of the defense right now. And if that's the case, and the, you know the, the numbers around the league bear that out, if that's the case, then why aren't the Colts more sophisticated? Why aren't they, you know, scoring more points? I, you know, I yeah, they've got injuries. Everybody's got injuries. By the way, and not that it matters because the Pro Bowl is whatever. You don't think Buckner's played at a Pro Bowl level? Because I do. Close, maybe. I, I just don't want to. I don't want to say that he's been awesome. I think he's been very, very good. I think he's been very, very good. And the Hall of Very Good, is he Is he, Is he? he Don Sutton or is he Roger Clemens? He's more Don Sutton, and Sutton got in eventually, so maybe Buckner is a pro bowler this year. He's playing very, very well. I don't think he's great, uh, but I think he's played very, very well. And I realize that he makes everybody better. There's a reason Grover Stewart yeah. this year has become so good. Well, I'm sure that Buckner is a big, big reason for that. Um, That's what I was going to say. I, I think it's the ripple effect that he creates, you know, statistically, and it's hard for interior D linemen to put up great stats, but y- him drawing double teams all the time helps Danico Autry, right? Or, or helps, Stewart's always been a lead against the runs, but I think that he's really kind of set a ripple effect. I think he, I think he's done for that defensive line, Greg, what Quentin Nelson did 
his first year for the offensive line. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's great. It's a trickle-down thing for sure. He He's a guy that great players make those around him better, and, and he has done that. He is a great player. He's got – I mean, we're playing eight games, okay? He's got two and a half sacks, so he's on pace for five, which on the interior, I mean, that's, that's a decent number. It's not great. He does have 13 quarterback hits. So if he's on pace for 26 quarterback hits from the interior, that's pretty damn good. Um, but otherwise, like tackle for losses, and he's got a handful. He gets one every couple of games up the middle on a run or something. Again, he's been good. He's been good. I'm not saying he's been a disappointment, but I'm just not. I'm not saying he's. I mean, Aaron Donald is. It's not fair to compare. I mean, Aaron Donald is super, 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 and there's a big, big. There's a big drop off between that guy and Buckner, and uh, and again, you can drop off from Aaron Donald and still be a Pro Bowler. I'm just not seeing it here. Eight games, uh, and I wasn't a math major at IU, but eight plus eight is sixteen. So we've reached the halfway point of the season. What grade overall would you give the Colts with what you've seen so far? Uh, C. I mean, yes, yeah, C. They, you know, show me a game they've won where you thought, wow, that was, I'm not sure they're supposed to win that game on because that team is better than them. But not, not one. They've had an easy schedule. And I mean, they, you know, I love the candy from the baby analogy. I make it all the time, but they, they've been given a bunch of candy and they've taken five pieces and that's, that's good. And they've got beat by the Ravens are better. And that's five games they shouldn't have lost. Um, it doesn't mean that they're a fourteen and two caliber team, but against that schedule, these Colts ought to be seven and one. So they're five and three. I'm giving them a C, and that's about as high, that's about. I mean, I feel like that's kind of high, maybe. I'm with you. I, I think, uh, but my expectations were lower than yours. See, I thought you were going to come out with like a D plus or something because I know that you, out of the two of us, you were a little more bullish on the Colts than I was. But you know, I expected this team to be like a nine-ish win team, and that's kind of what they look like. Um, and and I don't really honestly I don't really see that changing. I, I do think that they they will and should be in the playoff mix. I, I don't see, see any reason why the Colts can't hang with uh, hang with Tennessee in the division and and then hang around the wild card race with the Raiders and the Browns and and the Dolphins because I don't think any of those teams are significantly or should be significantly better than them. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I'd kind of line up C C minus. Um, if they would have put together a more competitive second half against Baltimore, I probably would have bumped that to like a C plus. But overall, it, I've, I've been kind of meh with what we've seen so far. Um, let's talk about happy things. Indiana just keeps knocking off historical wins off the list, right? They, they beat Penn State, top 10 team for the first time in however many years. They beat Michigan for the first time since 1987. And, and what I loved about that performance, Greg, is that they were better than Michigan. They were way better than Michigan. Their receivers were better than Michigan. Their quarterback was better than Michigan's. And how many times in, in 120 years of Indiana football, how many times have you ever been able to say that? Yeah, they they had the better athletes in the perimeter on both sides of the ball. And and maybe Michigan had a guy here or there who's really good, obviously. But 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 you talk about the IU's receiving core was better than Michigan's DBs. And IU's DBs were better than Michigan's receiving core. And IU's offensive line was terrific. They were controlling the, the line of scrimmage also. And Penix is great, and they've got a real deal kicker, and their punter's really good. I mean, they're they're a good team. They are a good team that, you know, I don't know what the line's going to be in Ohio State. Ohio State's going to be favored to beat them, and, and Ohio State should beat them and probably will beat them. But, you know, in years past, you were looking for a breakthrough. You are hoping for a breakthrough against Ohio State, but in your heart of hearts, you know it's really it shouldn't happen. Well, this game, they can win this game. I mean, they can, they can, they're top 10, and that's no joke. They, they are going to finish the year with, you know, maybe two losses. 
maybe. Uh, and I realize because Purdue, you know, that rivalry game is tough. We'll see. Um, do they play Wisconsin? We'll see if Wisconsin's a full strength, that's tough. They play Wisconsin. Fair. Yeah, I see them winning at least. I see them winning at least one of those three, and maybe two of those three. And it, I mean, w- would you knock me over with a feather if they go undefeated? No, you wouldn't. I've seen. I mean, they've already beaten Michigan, Penn State, which means you could beat anybody. We'll see. I just think Ohio State. It's kind of like Clemson when they're fully healthy or Alabama. They just feel like they've been on a different level than everybody else. And it's so interesting to me, Greg, that – and say what you want about Penn State. Look, I know they're 0-3 now. Um, Penn State looks broken to me. I think they quit, and that's why they got blown up by Maryland. I, I don't think that takes away from Indiana beating them. Michigan is not the Michigan of old, but they still recruit at a decently high level, um, and that's still, I think, a top 25-ish kind of a win. You know, Ohio State's just kind of a whole another ball game. Um, but I find it interesting that Indiana, at the by the end of the year, will have to have gone through Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, whereas Purdue won't face any of those four teams. I mean, Purdue, and, and they look like they're they've got a good team too. Uh, Purdue's path is paved for them to to not only get to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game, but really seriously to go unbeaten. Like you talk about not knocking you over with the feather. If you look at who Purdue has left. I don't think it would be necessarily a shock for them to run. The, I'm not going to pick them to do that, but I don't think it'd be a shock for them to run the table. Yeah, division placement is key. You know, I mean, look at the SEC in the East and the West. I and mean, if you're in the if you're on the side with Alabama, in recent years for sure, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, you're screwed. I mean, you you have no chance. And if you're on the other side, the, the doors open a little bit. Same thing with the Big Ten, man. If you're there's the Michigan Ohio State side, and there's the other side. So yeah, yeah, and Purdue is. I mean, Purdue's, they got the best player in the – I mean, David Bell will be the best player in the field when he steps out there pretty much every time. I mean, he's that good. And George Karlaftis is damn close. They, uh, they, they're they loaded to both sides and a lot of – I mean, they got great receivers. Their receiving core, I don't know if it's better than I use, but it's just different. It's, it's different and it's kind of younger. But, I mean, we've got some great receivers in our state. That's fun. Oh, yeah. No, I think – and and Fillier and, and uh, Freifogel are great. I think Bell and Moore healthy – are better than Indiana's. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I think the question is, is Bell and Moore the best combo? And I'm only using the top two. Are, are they the best combo in, in the country? Because I think you probably would have an argument there. Um, did you stay up for Notre Dame? No, hell no. No. No, no. I, I woke up next morning and got told who won. And, okay, that's great. Um, yeah. I just, listen, you know, I, I I try to mirror the enthusiasm, the interest, the passions of, of our city. And because I want to, you know, I want read, I want to write what the readers want to read about. And yeah. even Notre Dame in the top ten, and they've been in the top ten a few times since I've been here. And, and you and I've got a few people on Twitter that I talk with, and I know who they are, and you know, they're not Notre Dame fans. And I, I mean, I'm not saying there's nobody, but for the most part, that ship's just sailed. It just sailed. They're not, you know, I'm all about our state. If you're in our state, I care about you, and I care about Notre Dame, but they don't feel like our state. It just doesn't. No. They, they're, they're, Notre Dame is its own entity. It's an island, right? They, it's almost like Vatican City. I don't mean that. In a, I'm not trying to make a Catholic joke, but it's kind of like that. They're kind of just, they are them, and th- they don't have an us. Like there's nothing to them, and they, there is no us with Notre Dame. It's just them. They're them. And so, no, I'm not staying up late to watch that game. Hell no. And I think that there's, I, I think you could say that about specific geographical regions of the state too. Like when you get up in the region, I don't really feel very Indiana-y. I feel Chicago-y, 
You know what I mean? Like, I know that it's, I know Gary is in Indiana or Merrillville or Valpo is in Indiana, but it doesn't feel like, Indi- it's kind of like where I grew up in Connecticut. It, we didn't feel, you know, a lot of times when I tell people I'm from Connecticut, they're like, oh yeah, um, so you love the Red Sox? I'm like, well, no, I, I grew up the road from New York City. My dad commuted into Manhattan. Like, we were like a New York City suburb in Connecticut, you know? Right. And I, I think the same thing for Notre Dame. People just assume because it's in Indiana, oh, that's an Indiana team. Well, yeah, we have a lot of fans here. But I, I've always viewed it like you, Greg, as its own entity. I, I didn't think just one statement on Notre Dame. Um, it was the one thing Brian Kelly was really missing. And say what you want about Clemson being injured and no Lawrence. Okay, whatever. Who cares? Um, he was missing a signature win. He's done so many great things at Notre Dame, but they just haven't beaten any of the heavyweights. And they finally were able to topple a heavyweight on Saturday night. Yeah, and usually when they play the heavyweight, um, they lose by 20 or more. So Because they get they get out-athleted. And they did not get out-athleted. And... and I mean, obviously, you're you're better with Trevor Lawrence than you are with anybody else. I get that, but Clemson scored 40. I mean, they scored 40. You don't say, yeah, well, if Clemson can only score 12. No, they scored 40. Their defense gave up 48, and Trevor Lawrence doesn't play defense. So that's a legit win for Notre Dame. There's there's no asterisk there. They you know football is all about your depth, including at that position, and their depth at quarterback is not bad. That kid will be in the NFL in about three years. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not bad depth. That's why I mentioned Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. They're, you know, Clemson's backup quarterback would start for 95% of the teams in the country. Oh, yeah. Right oh, now. for sure. Right now. And, and, so, yeah. and that's just the difference with those programs and everybody else. Like, it, it, it'd be crushing to lose your starter if you're anybody else. But Clemson, you just put up the next blue chip, all world, had offers from everybody in the country player to step in and, and fill that role. Um, Veterans Day is tomorrow. Is that right? Well, we're taping this on Tuesday. So you, you might be hearing this on Veterans Day. Um, but Greg, I know you wanted to make mention of that. Yeah, I got an email from a reader about a cemetery um, up on the north side that was overgrown, neglected for years. It was connected to a church up there, and the church got sold and is no longer a church. The building's there, but it's not a church. The cemetery has just been kind of neglected and abandoned, and someone had emailed me, says that they've been going up there, their, their parents are, are buried up there, and they've noticed a woman, just one woman, older, cutting the grass herself. And she's taking care of the cemetery. And I found that woman like, why are you doing this? And she told me that her dad was a, was a veteran and she wanted to go see him and, and, and you know, tend to his his grave. And she actually the first time she went out there, she cut through the grass with scissors. She's on her hands and knees with scissors, cutting the grass wow. around her dad's grave. Well, then she started feeling bad, like I, I'm, I'm cutting the grass around his grave. What about everybody else here? And so she started cutting the whole the whole cemetery with, with, with a lawnmower, a walk lawnmower. And this is a big cemetery. She would do it once a week. And she then started going around looking for for um, veterans buried there, and she found some stuff. And she told me what she found, and that's that story will be in the paper and online on Wednesday. Yeah, awesome. I love that. Look, I love veterans. It's it's right in your wheelhouse. I love veterans because what I love is sacrifice. I love sacrifice, and my favorite form of greatness is the kind that kind of happens a little bit behind the scenes. Like greatness shouldn't always come with a press release. I like greatness that no one talks about or that no one notices. And the military, to me, is greatness in, in that form. I mean, yeah, they get the headlines. When, they, when we win World War II, that's a big headline. But on a daily basis, if you're a veteran, if you're a veteran in any war or whatever, you didn't get called out. You were just, you were, you know, I, I just, I think the, the anonymity of that sacrifice is breathtaking. Keep your eyes open for that piece. Also, uh, if you head over to IndyStar.com, you can read Greg's recap on how much the Colts offense stinks. <laughs> and uh, Indiana and more. IndyStar.com, the IndyStar app. Like, subscribe, and you can follow along Doyle and Derek and the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, all the places that Clark Wade throws it up on. Uh, until next time, Greg, we will see you then. Take care, buddy. 
by the way, we had two massive buyouts this week in the Indy Star on the new side, Vic Rickert and David Lindquist. Lindquist is our music entertainment writer, kind of, and, and Vic j- just is, does whatever the heck we want. We ask him to do, which is everything, so news writer. So two big, big losses. Uh, we'll get through it, but, uh, you know, we always, I always shout out – I try to shout out somebody every week. Last week it was Allison Carter. It's Clark Wade every week, and, and this week Vic and, Vic and Lindquist, uh, Godspeed to wherever you guys go next. Yeah, you know, I had made a note of it to bring that up on the podcast, especially Dave, because I have a, a friendship with him, and I, I'd forgotten to do so, so I'm glad you did that because um, Dave, when you think of the Indianapolis music scene, the first person that you think of is Dave. Right. And that's that's just his brand. That's who he is. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the next chapter is after many great years there at the start. Yep, yep, yep. Thanks for well, saying that. We'll see you next week, bud. All right, Derek. Bye.